Hello, welcome to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. I am, as always, your gracious and grateful host. How's everybody doing today, tonight, this evening, tomorrow morning, wherever you are? There was an old show I've been watching again called Laughing, and it was from the late 60s, and it was this just crazy bananas, 60s pop art, kind of psychedelic-ish uh, comedy stuff. It was great. Rowan and Martin and Goldie Hawn was in it, and like early, like super young Goldie Hawn, and uh, Joe Edward, <laughs> forces of nature on that show. Um, and the whole thing was kicked off by a guy named Gary Owens, who was a re, uh, radio announcer. And he did the same thing. It was like, this is Gary Owens broadcasting from beautiful downtown Burbank. And he held his hand over his ear, which I don't even know if that does anything. It doesn't for me. I don't, I don't, I can't get it. But I'm just giving respect, I guess, to the man, Gary Owens. I'm trying to do a shtick, I guess. So probably no one has any idea what I'm talking about. Oh, well, look it up. Laughing. Brilliant TV shows. Incredible. Uh, but apropos of nothing, I now would like to do the section that some of you may have been uh, listening to sometimes, and that would be the international high five section of the particular show that we're doing, where I find a country that has been apparently listening to the sound of my voice and give them a little shout out, a little, 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 little high five, essentially, hence the name. So here we go. This country coming up now is Germany. Germany is apparently listening to the sound of my voice. So, in honor of that, I will, as always, play the national anthem. Here we go. Comes in hot. Here we go. That's super German. Yep. That's that's pretty German. So, Germany. What do you got? You got some kind of fun facts I can read off here. Turns out that in the state of Bavaria, beer is actually considered a food. Look at that. Different dialects in Germany. This is incredible. There, there's so many different dialects in Germany that people don't even understand each other from like different regions. And some regional films even have to be shown with subtitles. It's like, it's like, like 10 miles over, probably. Um, Fanta was uh, created by the Nazis in Germany because during the Second World War, Coca-Cola syrup wasn't coming into uh, being imported into Germany anymore. We locked that stuff down. So they looked around. They said, well, we got some orange stuff and we got some flavored water. And there you go. But... The most interesting thing I could find out about you, Germany, is the fact that escaping prison apparently isn't illegal because it's a basic human instinct to want to be free. And it's not just you guys. It's Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Sweden, Austria, and some other countries, apparently, that the philosophy of the law holds that it is in human nature to want to escape. I don't know what to think about that, but that's kind of heady. And look at that. Perfect timing. The song was already over. I love when that kind of synchronicity happens. So this is all prelude to a fantastic interviewee that I did, a wonderful guest. Her name is Christina Toth. Christina Toth uh, is an actress. Orange is a New Black and Strut and Boardwalk Empire and all kinds of good stuff. And she was uh, musical theater uh, geek, kind of like I was. Uh, still am. I'll be honest. If I watch Fame, like the old TV show, I got a little bit, you know, heart kind of tugs at it a little bit. But... She was just a great person to talk to. We talked about technique, like the Meisner technique and this other technique, and this is all new information for me, hence why I do these shows. But there was something that was really kind of powerful that I liked to kind of to, uh, to talk to her about is she has this, um, this great short, and uh, it is called Talk to Me in Silence, and it's about losing someone 
with their memory loss to kind of watch someone lose their memory. And I work with a guy as a caregiver on the side kind of thing. And he had lost his, all of his memory except for his long-term memory in an accident a long time ago. And it's just, I'm fascinated by the world of memory loss. And that was a really wonderful part of the conversation. And we talked about David Bowie too. So there you go. And I hope that, uh, as always, I hope that you will enjoy this show as much as I did making it because I did. (laughs) All right. Have a great, uh, have a great day, night, evening. Talk to you later and goodbye. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, everyone. Please welcome to the Inspired Minds podcast, the fantastic and talented Christina Toff. Say hello, Christina. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. Like I said, you know, um, I have a lot of questions to get into, but I always like to start off the show with this particular question. Same question for everybody. And it is, what was the first thing that you can remember as a kid that inspired you? Song, book, TV show, dance movement, anything? Um, I guess, well, I was raised in a French suburb in Quebec called Sherbrooke. It's about less than two hours away from Montreal, and it's very rural and nature-oriented. I mean, it is a city, so it's not rural like, you know, cows, but it is very mountains and rivers and all. So I grew up surrounded by mountains. And I think that oddly enough, like that's the first image that comes in mind is um, a lot of hiking and nature. So I know for me, there's something very deep about mountains and how grounding it is. Um, If ever that makes sense at all. Like, I think that's the first source of inspiration for me just nature in general. But if I go more in the idea of arts and all, um, I was very lucky. Like whatever I wanted to try or dip my toe in, um, my mother was like, absolutely go try it. So I was around a lot of sports, um, a lot of swimming um, that definitely built me and gave me like – the idea of structure and routine and being dedicated to one thing very passionately. So this idea of creating a passion for something came through for me through swimming and then later on transposed into the art of acting and dancing and writing. Um, Yeah, I guess that's a bit of me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, nature kind of, in a way, kicked us off to a certain degree. Absolutely. I don't know. There's just like the way that um, the conversation happens in nature. And if you're open to it and just seeing what happens, it sort of like sparks the creativity and a lot of walking in my family. And that's something that is definitely a big part of me. Like I walk everywhere and um, that's how creation occurs in my mind like I'll just you know the walking the forward movement of walking will just propel my thought into one thought leads into the other and that's how I kind of create narratives or say if I need to work or establish a character I'll go on walks and just think about it and that's how my mind works I'll just keep the thought moving forward can I uh can I offer an alternate explanation for your experience (laughs) 
<laughs> How's that? For, uh, yes, please. Oh, how arrogant is that? I only known you for like five minutes. Um, here's an alternate explanation. Uh, well, first of all, let me go backwards. You said a conversation happens in nature. What does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, without sounding too um, new age, <laughs> um, I just, uh, for me, it's just like the elements, like you, the way the sun hits, um, the way the light happens, the way the wind blows, um, just hearing sounds and the way the forest sounds is so different from the city. Um, and there are different living, breathing creatures in there that are different from just metals and cars. Um, so they're just other creatures living. So they're just around you. So you're not just the only one surrounded by concrete. You're just around other energies. Uh -huh. Gosh, I sound so new age. <laughs> that's, that's all that's based in science, by the way. It's evidence-based. It is. Yeah. Oh, but here's the, so here's the alternate explanation I was going to offer you. You just said that you were mm -hmm. thinking, uh, when you get into nature, you think about these things and then you have these experiences. Do you think that you think about these things or that perhaps they came to you? Um, I don't know. It just brings me into a very meditative state and that's where the door opens for me. So whether I thought it before or it came naturally, um, at this point, I'm just happy that it came. The idea yes. came yes. <laughs> and I'll just, I'll just welcome it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a, I always talk about this on the show, but one of my favorite examples of this came from Keith Richards and someone asked him, how do you write songs? Like, you know, kids asked that question a billion times. And he said, you gotta be a lightning rod because the song mm -hmm. is out there. But if you're, right. if you're in tune enough, that's the key. If you're present enough, if you're in tune enough, it comes to you sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, I was watching, um, and I hope I pronounce her name right, but I'm pretty, um, very talented Irish actress named Denise Go, And she was explaining that same idea where, you know, say you were speaking about a musician, I'm going to refer to like an actress in terms of character, but um, she she did people, places and things. And when she was talking about how the character came into her life, she was like, yeah, I'm fundamentally believing that the character chooses you like you're not the of course we're all the instruments and we can be of better service to a character but ultimately if you're just open to the idea that you're a vessel and the character comes into you and you are the sort of uh, portal that will just tell their story so I just like the idea it sort of releases the whole stigma of pressure and auditioning and all you just let things happen yeah just be a conduit yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, it's like, you know, Martha Graham, keep the channel open. Huh. Well, there's a reason why she's a great Martha Graham. Got <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> good advice. Oh, yes. So mm -hmm. now I kind of want to go into, well, first of all, you know, you've you got a pretty pretty amazing resume uh, as far um, Orange is the New Black and Boardwalk Empire and Reverie Strut. And um, one thing that was interesting, uh, Strut, so as I may have mentioned, I, I interviewed Margaret Judson. Yay. A little longer, and she says that you're amazing, and you know. I send that way back to her. She's wonderful. Thought I'd pass that on. So, yay! Thank you. <laughs> and then in addition to that, so you've done a lot of a lot of work there. But in addition to that, I know that you've done a lot of stage work. Um, yeah, you did Candlelight with uh, by John Patrick mm -hmm. Stanley. I don't know Candlelight, but I do know Doubt, and I know a lot of his other stuff. Yeah, Candlelight is his newest work. It, we just did it. Um, last november december of 2021 amazing 
And then you also yeah. did David Bowie's Lazarus. And for me, I'm a giant Bowie fan. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was, uh, I, I took a look at it a, a little bit and thought it was looked, looked amazing. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Like, um, my character was only portrayed on screen. So there were like two dualities going on. There was the live stage performances of these, you know, amazing, um, artists and my character came through screen interacting with them. Um, that was interesting. I had never had that experience before. So, um, that was really fun. Yeah. It, it really looked like it. So my question really is tell, okay. So first of all, as I mentioned, I was in musical theater when I was a kid, <laughs> I somewhere between like 10 and 13, I guess. And I did, I was just a musical guy cause I couldn't do sports <laughs> to this day. I hate sports. Never got it. Eh, we all each have our own thing. Um, Mm-hmm. But so I was like hard and hard in musical theater for a while because it's all I could really do was couldn't play sports. So, you know, I had the capizios and I had the leg warmers. I didn't do anything at the age of 13 as a flash dance, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone had leg warmers. So like, I'm 13. What the hell? I'll get them anyway. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to sort of act, I guess, on at least those three years. And it was back mm-hmm. then there weren't microphones, really, no head mics or nothing. And it was. Um, just project to the back of the room. And there was a lot of expressive acting, I remember, because mm-hmm. one could see you and there wasn't, you know, these weren't these giant screens or anything. So the question becomes, what is the difference between stage acting and camera acting, film, TV? It's so funny you say that. <laughs> um, basically, um, the only difference is the medium with which you work with. So say when the stage is there, um, you know, the fourth wall is open and you have the audience and the audience in itself is a character as well, because, you know, you'll hear feedback, even if it's not a comedy or whatnot. And if it's a heavy drama, you'll still sense the audience there with you. There'll be some sort of, you know, um, conversation happening. And the only thing that you want to be mindful of is that the last person in the last row sees you and hears you as clearly as the people in the first row. So you know, it's a, um, equal system when you're in front of the camera, the camera in itself becomes another character in a way, or at least I see it this way. Not that you interact with it, obviously, because we all know, (laughs) don't look at the camera, but it's still there. It's a presence. And in a way, like if you think about it, then the entire crew and the community on set is behind the camera, which in a way is kind of like the same feeling as when you're in theater with the audience, like they're still there. And I feel like, you know, every actor have their own methods and um, whatever works for a certain person works for them. And that's just absolutely wonderful. What works for me is the idea that I acknowledge it. Like it's there. I'm not going to try and pretend it doesn't exist. I see it. I feel it. It's there. So I might as well work with it. That in terms of people, that's just how my experience has been. And then when you work with the camera, things are become more detail oriented because there's so much specificity and precision in the camera now that you can do very small things that can communicate an array of emotions rather than in theater, you just have to rely more on your instrument and your diction and pronunciation and just your body in general. Like you want to utilize your entire being same with camera. Like, but the thing is your entire being is not seen at all times, depending on the frame. Yeah. 
unsure if that makes sense, but absolutely. <laughs> it makes sense to me. I didn't think about that, that uh, the the upgrade in the video quality alone of the cameras makes it so much easier to pick up a little head nod or an eye oh, raise. You just, you just raise your eyebrow and it can, you know, it's a wave of emotion just happened. You know, I got to get this out of my head before I even say anything more. <clears throat> Have you ever seen the movie A Mighty Wind? A, a, a kind of a fake uh, documentary on a um, folk artist. I have not. Oh my God. It's the same guys who do Spinal Tap and, and, and a lot of other great movies, but there's this one scene. I, there's this one scene basically with, uh, uh, now I'm forgetting what the actor's name is, but at any rate, they just won. There's one little eyebrow uh, that is mm-hmm. beautiful. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is where I want to, I'm curious about this. So I have a lot of actor friends and I used to kind of be one, I suppose, when I was younger and um, debatable if I him now in real life. But I think, I think you were, you seem very, you know, passionate about it. Why don't you give yourself that? You were, you were an actor. I was, I was pretty, I mean, I stopped at 13 technically, but um, <laughs> the reason I ask is actually there's two things. One is you just mentioned that you only see the people, well, you don't see the people in the back, but they see you. Right. And, on a slightly analogous level, when I was in bands, I mean, tour and play uh, some people, some people I didn't play a lot too, but regardless, I only saw the first row. That's where the lights are. It's the same concept. Yeah, absolutely. And then you kind of forget there's people behind you. So you play the show to the back of the room. I mean, that's what, that's what I kind of did, I guess, when I was playing these, these loud rock shows, I would play to the back of the room. Same thing when I was a kid. Yeah. And the way music just, you know, travels in a room that's also pretty spectacular that, you know, the waves of just sound like they, you must've felt it when they hit the the back of the room. And I also felt that I had these giant, it's so funny you bring this up. You're really, really body informed. I like this because <laughs> when I was in playing in these bands, I had this giant bass cabinet behind me, like a refrigerator and it would blow mm-hmm. out these low end frequencies that would hit the back of my leg. I love that feeling. I miss it. But Wow. Yeah, there's this whole new thing now. I'm sure you must have heard about it where um, there's a lot of um, studies around frequencies and how sound really heals the human body. Um, I've only gotten introduced to it recently and I'm definitely not a scholar in this, but I'm kind of dipping my toe in it. It makes sense to me like the, because we're made of water basically. Um, And the way sound influences water that's mainly like the through line. Um, I don't want to go too deep into it because I feel like I will not give it justice because I don't know enough, but I just think that um, it really sparked a big curiosity in me. Oh, yeah. Sound baths are a thing that have been for like probably millennia because of that exact reason, mm-hmm. you know. True. Frequencies true. That, uh, frequencies that we hit. So acting. I want to talk about – I saw that you're into the Meisner technique. So I know mm-hmm. zero, except for method, which I kind of understand, but not mm-hmm. really. Explain to me method mm-hmm. or Meisner, I guess, and then explain to me the other ones if you can and why you need different ones. Sure. So I'm a graduate of the Neighborhood Playhouse. It's a conservatory uh, in New York City, and that's where Meisner used to teach, and that's where the home of the Meisner technique is. But before that, there was a collective a group of people um called the group theater and if ever you want to you know have more knowledge on this there's this wonderful book called the fervent years where all of this is explained so basically this whole idea of 
method acting and Meisner or Estella Adler, Uta Hagen and all of that, well, some of them started together. They were a part of the same group and they were all influenced by the Russians. Um, at some point, this group of people saw the Russians came to America and they were just like, how can we transform the American art of acting and make it look even like more real like the Russians do? And that's where the collective started thinking and establishing ideas. And, you know, part of these folks were like Clifford Odets and extraordinary people that just established the whole art of acting in America. Um, and Meisner, his whole idea, and this is why it works for me mainly, is that it's all based on imaginary circumstances rather than the method acting is more um, focused on things that um, happened in your life. So you look into the memories of, say, childhood or a certain trauma or whatever, and you utilize that because it is a known, I'm going to use the word wound just so that we understand, but it doesn't have to be a wound. And because you've had this experience, you understand the emotion and you can go dive deep into that. Um, and that works for um, extraordinary actors. But for me, um, this sometimes can be more of a danger territory because there's certain wounds that I've healed and I don't necessarily want to wake up again. And that's only why Meisner works better for me. But I'm definitely an actor who's um, like, it's an instrument, right? And I have many different buttons. I just know that I hit the Meisner button probably 90% of the time because that's how I respond to it. But there are times where I'll hit like the method button or like the Stella Adler button, whatever the moment needs, as long as my acting is truthful and honest, whatever method of acting will lead me there is the method I will use. So I'm just open and curious to all genres of acting in general, but I know Meisner works best for me based on the fact that it's all imaginary circumstances and I know my imagination is rich in the sense that one idea leads to the next and a circumstance isn't, isn't stuck in semantic and grow and become this even bigger scenario that real life could have made for you. So that it just works for me. And the main thing too is Meisner is all about listening. The person in front of you, your scene partner is the most important person in the room. And that is something I deeply resonate with I think that other people are so much more interesting than I am so when you put your focus out of yourself and completely into your scene partner or whatever person or thing you're acting with and you leave yourself alone whatever occurs and whatever piece of information that you get from that other person is um the golden nugget yeah um so yeah that's Pretty much yeah, it that makes, me. that makes sense just in terms of, I guess, in a, in a way, you're just kind of clearing yourself out so you're not focused on yourself. You suppress the ego. You suppress whatever it is there for a second. Look at somebody else. Mm -hmm. Focus on them. Be of service in a sense because you're listening to them at least. For the, you know, a lot of people don't get that. It's just, yeah, you free yourself from any judgment that is so unnecessary. And not just that. Then you allow yourself to just respond in the moment. You're not thinking. You're reacting. God, acting sounds hard. <laughs> Meisner says it takes 20 years to make an actor, and I think the man is quite right. <laughs> Why is that? Why, what, where did the 20, number, 20 years come from? 
I'm unsure, but if you look at just, you know, people's trajectory and careers, it's like a good wine. It gets better as it gets older. So I, I think any any master of their craft, be it a surgeon, a lawyer, an actor, a writer, as we get older, we just get better. Yeah. Well, it's collective wisdom about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And life. Yeah. You know, like actors were sponges of life. Yeah. Artists, I think, are in general. That's what creates what creates great art in a lot of cases, at least, is just collective wisdom and pain and lessons from pain and joy and lessons from joy. And it's all lessons. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With that in mind, let's say you have a script that is hard, like a John, I don't know, maybe a John Patrick Shanley script that you're working, working with. How much creative freedom do you have or how much creative freedom do you allow yourself when there's a tight script like that, I would imagine? Or is there room for... Improv. Well, John is just absolutely wonderful. Like he was with us the entire time and it was a creative process. So um, having him in the, uh, in the rehearsal space with us, he was very open to just seeing what was happening in the room. And the only thing, the um, other thing is when you have someone who is so skilled and talented and gives you a piece of writing that is just already there. There's no question to be had. You just trust the path and you go along the path. So, yeah, it's for me, the, <laughs> yeah, the, it was it was kind of a gift. Um, it was my first time originating a role that way. It, I I cannot tell you how incredible this experience was for me. It was definitely a memory that I keep very close to my heart. You know, it's funny. I I did read that you originated the role and I didn't think about it until I read this. That's kind of amazing to be able to take words and with the direction of uh, perhaps Shanley or somebody, at least to be able to take those words and originate a character to build a character. Mm -hmm. And it is very quite nice to see it come to life. You know, you imagine how it's going to be just based on, listening to other people's experiences. But the fact is everybody's experience is so different. Um, So I got a sense of what my experience going through it was. And I'm sure that if I get the opportunity to originate a different role, then that experience in itself will be different as well. So that's what makes it even so much more special is that it's unique. And I'll only have this particular experience once in my life. And I like that. The thing that was really nice with it is that through the construction of the play and when we got in the theater and started, you know, teching and going on the more mechanical aspects of how things would go from one piece to the other, the transitions, we knew my character was going to dance quite a bit. But as we were going into it, um, the dancing component became bigger and bigger. Um, and that was fun. It really kept me on my toes. And I do have like dad's background. Um, but I've never had the opportunity to sort of merge both um, together in that same sense of theater meet dance. But this character allowed me to do that. And it was um, just wonderful. Amazing. I can't imagine what mm-hmm. that would be like. It's like the treating with clay. Incredible. So yeah. Here's something else I want to talk about. I really want to discuss this. The talk to me in silence. Thing at. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of backtrack for me is really, this is part of the reason why I really wanted to, to talk to you. Um, because I have 
my parents who are older, I can feel the memory starting to slip a little bit. But what's mm-hmm. interesting is I'm a caregiver for a gentleman who had been uh, hit by a car at 13, life demolished, demolished him. Uh, comas, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a coma induced for like nine months and he woke up and he couldn't walk or talk and just all this, all this stuff that he deals with. And he's 43 now. And he has a TB. It was a massive TBI. So his memory is shot, shot. Mm. But what's interesting is, and I'm fast, I'm so fascinated by the memory process now because there's event memory mm. and there's sense memory as I've learned. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's event mm-hmm. memory, what's going on. And then there's that sense memory of you remembering what that felt like, what the emotions were attached to it. My guy has mm-hmm. no event memory, zero. It's he'll ask mm. five minutes. What, what are we doing? Every five minutes to every 10 minutes. It's just, you know, I'm, we're going to do this, buddy. And the ask again, we're going to do this, buddy. And I love the guy. Mm-hmm. But his sense mm-hmm. memory is, he remembers everything detailed from like decades ago. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I'm fascinated. The whole thing, I'm fascinated by memory. So if you can kind of walk me through your inspiration for Talk to Me in Silence, because as I read, mm-hmm. and I saw some of it at least, or the, uh, the film examines our familiar responsibility towards one another. And it's a love letter, a love letter to anyone who has lost a loved one to memory loss. Tell me about that. To be quite frank, it started off with the base of exploring my personal fear. I had to have like some fears um, related to that subject. And I felt like I needed to explore, dive deeper into this and understand where it was coming from. And I do remember um, there's someone very special to me. I call her my sister. She's not my blood sister, but... I'm alone. I'm an only child. So I went out in the world and found myself siblings <laughs> and um, she's my sister, like flat out. Um, and she studied art therapy. And one of the things that she studied was that sense memory um, for people that have or suffer from memory loss. Yeah. And it was fascinating to hear her talk about this because she explained how the memory point in your brain Um, is so close to the sensorial aspect. And once the senses are open, it's sort of a bypass to memory. Like it just opens the door. So say, yeah. So say with art therapy, for instance, they could open up minds of um, people that couldn't remember certain aspects of their lives through painting, through dancing, through smelling something. And that's one thing I wanted to explore and illustrate because I think it's just so fascinating about the human race and who we are. And so through making bread and the smell of bread, everybody's has some form of memory related to that, be it that you pass in front of a bakery in the morning and you smell the croissant or the baguette or whatever your mind goes into this place of, oh, I remember when I was a kid, oh, I loved to eat those things and whatnot. Or for me, it's that, it's that smell. But for other people, like we all have that sense, sensory thing about ourselves that bring us back into a very important memory. So Talk to Me in Silence was a lot around that. And in itself, I've always been a big, big fan of Persona, the Bergman movie. Yeah. And, you know, I was raised by a single mother and this idea of strong female narratives, um, it's always been a very big part of me. And the more I gain confidence in myself, the more I 
realize this and I'm kind of becoming more of a leader into, yeah, I want to tell stories about women and because I was shown the path into what it is, what it looks like to be a strong woman. When I saw Persona and it was based on these two strong female protagonists and the notion of identity and all of that, it's, it's something about it resonated like I'm going to use the word home, like it felt like home. Not that it was like my home, that's how I was brought up, but just like feeling inside. You know, when you watch something or you listen to a piece of music or you watch, you see a painting, there's something about art that makes you feel at home. Mm -hmm. So those three components, yeah, the feeling of home, the idea of explaining stories of women and how narratives are so complex, but is so beautiful and then the added component of our senses and how it brings us together in our memories those are three things that I really like to work around and I feel talk to me in silence was the thing that brought it together I'm still I mean I'm working on the feature film version really? of this at the moment so I guess um yeah uh I'm having a great time with it um It's it's kind of the first time that I dabble into feature film script writing, but yeah, it's called Night Owl, and I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, what I whenever I see the words love letter, I, I see that sometimes, and I'm doing my research. I'm like, that's what I will talk about. Because that's the, that's the passion project, obviously. You know, that's where yeah. a lot of people pour themselves into, which leads me now into something that really caught my eye. So this whole podcast, ultimately, at least in my head, is about storytelling. And I try and encourage that in everywhere I go, especially in my clients lately that I deal with in therapy. And I tell them, like, believe it or not, you're a storyteller. You're going to tell me a story right now. It's going to be a beginning, a middle, and an end if you want. And go. Mm -hmm. And they do. And then we can divine the meaning out of the story that they just told me, or they can at least, with my guidance maybe. And then, so I believe, someone said it recently in another interview I did, she said that the shortest distance between two people is a story. And I, I thought that was just absolutely wonderful. Storytelling saved my life from, uh, from some stuff I went through. Storytelling helps people. And this, there's a specific thing that you said that I thought was absolutely brilliant. It was, I believe we need to tell stories as much as we need to hear them. It's what we know best to do. And this is the kicker for me. Story has survived the passage of time. It is our constant companion. Can you, Pull on that thread more. Yeah, um, it's what brings us together. Like I, the, the first image that comes to mind is uh, people gathered around a fire and just sharing their experiences. It's sort of like is what pe keeps people alive. Mm -hmm. You know, we in the end of the day, that's all we have. We have each other and our stories. In whatever way the story is, it it just triggers something in us. It's it. it It feeds the heart. It just, it's like this f food for the soul. Yeah. I'm trying to express it in a very, you know, comprehensive way, but it's something I just understand to in a visceral level. And then I guess that might just be the answer. Like we understand story and add in a, like it's in our soul. And I, it's, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we were, we were told stories when we were kids, at least some of us, but a uh, good parent background. They told our parents yeah. told us stories, stories about, you know, Peter Rabbit or stories about whatever. And then that gets lost, mm -hmm. right? Gone in a lot of cases, at least. And this, this idea that we used to have like for, like for generations and millennia 
a passing down story, stories about war, stories about famine, stories about love, stories about loss, story, 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 campfire, oral tradition, right? And mm-hmm. then here we are. And I believe that we, I always say this on the podcast, but I think we're in a pandemic of disconnection. I've been saying this for so long and it's getting worse. And the way to mm-hmm. get over that, I believe, is through storytelling. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, we always tell our stories 24 seven, like that's just how the way the brain works. And I've noticed in myself recently that the story was just repeating itself. And so I'm not there yet, but the work I'm currently doing is trying to figure out or restructuring just the structures of my brain and things that were just brought on by the way I, the way life sort of is being shown to me at the moment. Um, and then there are certain things that just don't serve me. And they're just uh, so imprinted in me just based on the fact that they were always around because it's life. I think that the community is awakening to this idea that there are certain structures that no longer work for us. So we just need to rebuild the narrative or based on even the same idea. Like I was listening to this, um, the name escapes me, but it was mainly about she was a scholar on mythology and how the whole idea of the masculine image served a purpose at a time. But the thing now is that the masculine image is different now and it can be equal to the feminine image and the way that f- women illustrate men, like they bring something out of men that is softer and they need that in order for the community to be equal. Uh, I don't make sense. It makes sense in my head. And she obviously said it so much better than I, but um, yeah, just restructuring things and seeing life differently because it no longer serves us. It's not working for us. Look at us. We're at war with each other. There's something wrong. So I think we're just awakening to like, all right, let's go back and see how we can fix this. I hope so. I mean, look, I, I am I, do I think that Stories are going to save us. Yeah. In a poetic world, you know, is is it a reality? Who knows? But the point is I'm trying to do that more myself at least. And this is what this podcast is, right? Like I tell my stories, you tell your stories, we connect. That's how this whole thing's supposed to work. If you ask me, and it just doesn't because we're just yelling at each other. We're not telling stories. We're telling, we're, we're, we're not reauthoring anything, you know, we're just screaming at each other. And you know, it's obviously it's it's time to be super angry. I get that. It always has been, but even more so. But at the end of the day, just telling stories about what happened. That's it. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm not one for anger or rage. I really react. Um, I kind of close off whenever things get too high pitched or too aggressive. Huh? So I'm always on. I'm more of a listener. I think right now I. I get more out out of what's going on just by sitting and listening. Um, I don't need to be an active participant at the moment. I'm not that I'm not sponging anything in. I'm certainly learning quite a lot, but I do know that my role at the moment is to listen. I understand. Uh, Changing subjects. How do you handle? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Um, How do you handle rejection as an actor? You just went right to right there, it. <laughs> oh, the big rejection. Um, it's not, yeah, I get it. Um, well, rejection kind of changed for me. It was 
I think rejection only really hits you hard when you let it, meaning that it becomes more important than who you actually are. So if you, in your core and essence, you kind of know who you are and what your strengths are, you sort of sort of just like let it go and understand that it's not rejection. It's just, it belonged to someone else. Like, and that's okay. Like not everything belongs to one person. So if you share that idea of like, good, like it belonged to that other person and something else belongs to me and that thing that belongs to me will find me, um, you just trust in that process. So rejection only comes negative when you hold it tight to your heart and you let it be the motor that is just toxic. You, yeah. yeah, that's uh, not having any attachments, right? And trust me, I'm doing the best I can to opt for that, but there are days where I will definitely fail, but... I think I'm getting pretty, I'm getting definitely better at it. I'm going to throw you uh, one of my other favorite jokes here. And that is, uh, Hey, Christina, have you heard what comes with the Buddhist vacuum cleaner? (laughs) No No attachments. No no attachments. It's terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Do you have a lot of those jokes in your bag? I have a lot lot of jokes. (laughs) I got a really nice joke. It's a killer, but I can't do it right now. Um, but uh, but that's kind of the thing, at least for me. I mean, that, I heard that joke and I, I thought, oh, I, now I kind of get it, I guess. Just don't let those things define who you are. If you lose them, you lose them. Yeah. And it, there's so, so many things that are out of our control. Um, you know, doing Talk to Me in Silence was a great chance for me to see the other side of the acting yeah. world and just being on, you know, the writer and working with the team of producers and just seeing all the components that go into making a project come to life. And it it gives you so much peace with the creative process of just being an actor and you go full on Akuna Matata because you're like, <laughs> oh gosh, so much of it has nothing to do with me. Like there's maybe 1% that has to do with me and that's it. It's when I do the audition. That's where I get the control or like the opportunity to just show what I can do. <laughs> The rest, there's so many components that are out of our control. So you you can't hold on to that. Personally, I think that everything is out of our control except a reaction to whatever is out there. You know, I can't can't control the people. I can't control anything, Mm -hmm. but I can control me. Mm -hmm. Yep. And 100%. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Got a, we're going to wrap this up here a little bit. I'm going to have some fun now. Not that that wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I talk I talk about this shit too. So, um, but here we go. You mentioned Persona as being one of your favorite films. Tell me some other ones, and specifically, if you can, the ones that inspired you. Whatever that means. Go. Oh, golly gee. Um, some. Thelmine Louise. Oh. Um, that was very big on me. Uh, holy moly. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Nice. Another big one. Yep. Why Thelma and Louise? Uh, no. Let me back up. Why Thelma and Louise? Um, just the freedom and like the outrageousness of it all, and just the the friendship and the tight bond, and obviously that last scene, yeah. like jumping off the yeah. cliff. Like I was, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, so I guess it was very revolutionary for me to being like, well, yeah, movie making allows you to do whatever you want. You want to show something of such on screen 
Um, and it was, you know, obviously very intelligently put in. And I think that same idea with Pulp Fiction, kind of, it's all these movies that are so artistically made and um, the vision and just the, the drive of the creators, they're so in touch with their artistic flow and so determined that whatever their vision is, is, is that vision and they just go full force with it. There is a certain, yeah, there is a certain force about these movies that definitely resonate a lot with me. All right. And I know you're going to ask this question probably a billion times. So I'm going to twist it a little bit. Favorite actors, but give me the ones that no one would expect, <laughs> whatever that means. My, those are very important women back home in Montreal, a French Canadian actress. Her name is Rita Lafontaine and she was my mentor. She, um, before I came to America, she taught me everything. And that will be my favorite actress forever and ever. She's passed now, but she's one of those that just stays with you. Um, she, yeah, so favorite actress, it was her. She did this thing. She would do theater and film and all of it. And she explained to me the idea that what's written on the page isn't necessarily what the character means, like this whole notion of subtext. Um, that's how it all started for me, going deeper than what the line shows. Huh? And um, just watching her on stage, she was working with her entire body. Like there was one moment where her character was barefoot and you could see her acting from her toes. Oh and when I saw that, there was just like an epiphany moment. So, yeah, my favorite actress um, is Rita Lafontaine. She gave you the gift of her life and experience. How lovely is that? So this is how I end the show on this particular show, and that is uh, we're going to pretend to say goodbye. And Oh, and actually, this is going to involve some acting. I can finally use an actor for this. This is going to be great. Um, so we're going to pretend to say goodbye. Again, use your Meisner skills or whatever the hell you're using these days. <laughs> Just kidding, by the way. I need to minimize your experience. Right. Um, so we're going to do this. You can, you can make fun of me. <laughs> you're going to say goodbye. You're going to use your acting skills. And then I'm going to pretend to hang up. And then we're going to chat for about whatever. And then we're good. Dale? Very good, Dale. Yeah, my turn. I'm going, to, I'm going to tap back into 1983, young Jeff Watson. You ready? <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Let me get into character as me from 30 years ago. <laughs> Those are the hardest. Yeah, let me find me. Hold on. And... <laughs> Oh I, oh, I can go method on myself. Think about that. There you anyway, go. There you go. Thank you so much for doing this. What a blast. I, I just love talking to creatives and what a creative you are indeed. So again, thank you so much. I do know also that you're a little post COVID. So thanks for fighting the fight, at least helping me out. Hope you're okay. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing well. Every day is better. Every day is but better. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Every day is a gift. Okay. Your turn. I want some serious acting from you. You're an actor. and I'm not. <laughs> oh gosh no honestly thank you it was quite wonderful talking to you so I'm very honored that you wanted to have this conversation with me academy award nomination imminent <laughs> <laughs> put that up in the universe <laughs> put it on your reel <laughs> Again, thank you so much i'm gonna quote unquote hang up now and we're good you ready ready for the hang up it's very dramatic right oh gosh ready go. and click